0: Good morning and welcome to today's program from the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipperer, the club's vice president of media and editorial, and I wanted to welcome you to our program today, What Does Politics Demand of Black Women? It's presented at the Commonwealth Club by the Michelle Miao Show and our Inforum division. Now, this is just the latest program that the club has presented online since we all began sheltering in place. And like today's, the vast majority of these programs are presented to you free. So therefore, we certainly welcome any donations you care to send to the club to help support the production of this and other programs. Now, you can join us for more online programs. We've got a busy schedule of upcoming events, and we're adding more every day. So just go to commonwealthclub.org online to see our lineup and to register. Now, it is my pleasure to introduce our moderator for today, Carolyn Weisinger. She is the host of the C-Dub show and is the president of the board of San Francisco Pride. Carolyn?
1: Thank you so much, John, and thank you all to the Commonwealth Club for letting the C-Dub Show take over the Commonwealth Club once again. I am so excited for today's panel. Um, and I want to give a warning. I always give Commonwealth Club viewers a warning that this is the Commonwealth Club, but this is the C-Dub Show. I am not responsible for any of the shenanigans that happens today on this show. And I have an incredible panel of women who I adore, and I thank you all for being here. I know that Kimberly and Latifah know me very well. Mayor Breed, you only know me a little bit, but you know a little bit about how silly this can get, so I thank you for being here as well. Um, and I want to jump right into the conversation. This conversation was actually started or inspired by an article on the New York Times about Senator Kamala Harris's run for U.S. president and the end of her campaign. Um, and it really brought up the, the question about the electability of black women. So, supposedly, or from the article, it says the California senator's decision to exit the race before the first round of voting has sparked an emotional reckoning as the small sorority of prominent elected Black female officials, strategists and candidates find themselves grappling with what happened. And as the three of you know, my life is going to change exponentially sometime in the next two weeks. And so I'm going to take this opportunity to pick your brain about, you know, what that means and what that looks like. So I'm going to ask each of you first, starting with Mayor Bree, what was it that when was the first time you saw yourself in politics?
2: Well, I I think it had a lot to do with seeing Kamala Harris get elected district attorney of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I saw women before that, uh, my first opportunity to visit an African American woman who was an elected official was Willie B. Kennedy when she was on the board of supervisors. I was in high school, I interviewed her and it was like, wow, this is a black woman. It was unbelievable. But I still never saw myself in that sort of position, especially because I was living in poverty I didn't think someone like me could have an opportunity like this. And seeing someone like Kamala step out on faith and run for district attorney in San Francisco and win was really unbelievable. And at that point, it wasn't as if I thought I was going to run for office. It's just that I knew that if I wanted to do something more than, um, you know, be active in the community, I could seeing Barack Obama become president was unbelievable for me as well. And I think those two things really sparked the fire in me to step out on faith and to know that if I put myself out there, despite the challenges that may come my way, because I saw all the challenges they dealt with, that, you know, if they can do it, maybe I can do it too. And that's really what pushed me into this role.
1: Okay. And I know Latifah, I know you and Mayor Bree grew up... Close together here in San Francisco. I am not from San Francisco. I am from the city of Richmond, but we are all Bay Area girls. And so we share a similar narrative. And Latifa, you currently serve as the president of the board of the directors for BART. What was the first time that you saw yourself in politics?
3: You know, when London decided to run for board of supervisors, I was like, what? Um, and then when she won, I was like, what? This audacity of black women to stay in their moral character and do what we do best to lead when Barbara Lee rose up in the House to vote against uh, an unjustified war and seeing the world look at her moral character and leadership. And similar to what the mayor said, You know, when when Kamala Harris decided that Black women should absolutely be centered in the conversation around safety and that she should, in fact, you know, lead that space, um, it it was amazing. But a couple of other things in this moment, which I think we're all examining, the nation is burning. When we think of women like elected and non-elected, like Fannie Lou Hamer or Constance Baker Motley or Anita Hill, she wasn't elected but she changed the body politic of how black women's leadership should feel. It's honest and, and clear. Folks like Ella Baker, who many people didn't know who she was, but what she said is so true still now until the killing of black men's, black men is important as the killing of white mother's sons, we who believe in freedom cannot rest. It's all of those women, all of those women who make it so clear that black women's leadership in the politic of this country, if we believe in democracy, is central to its moral base and moral future. Um, And it's amazing to actually have a mayor of one of the biggest and most important cities in the country, in the world, be a young Black girl who rode the bus every single day and went to public schools and who was raised by her grandmother. She is, as many of you are, changing the face of what politics looks like. And it's an honor to be here today.
1: All right. And, and Kimberly, you are the former executive director of Emerge, which we are going to get to in just a little bit. Um, you're not from the Bay Area, but we have accepted you in Richmond. We still love you. So what What initially, when was the first time you saw yourself in politics?
4: Well, you know, I I love hearing uh, the stories of, uh, of, of a Mayor London Breed and a uh, President uh, Latifah Simon and Congresswoman Barbara Lee, because Uh, They inspire so many uh, people and women like myself. And unfortunately, I didn't have the incredible um, honor like Mayor Breed and uh, President Simon to see up close and personal these women, these black women role models run for and win elected office. I uh, had to find my inspiration in a book. And uh, literally, quite frankly, uh, third grade uh, was the time that I happened upon an incredible trailblazing, um, I think way ahead of her time, woman by the name of Shirley Chisholm. And it was reading about this woman in third grade, you know, for a book report. Uh, about her life, her legacy, um, how she was in in so many ways a freedom fighter and a justice warrior who fought for uh, the underrepresented, for the poor, for women, for children, for families. Uh, that I decided that I wanted to be just like her, and I think for so many of us, women, black women especially, who are. And thank you, Latifah, for for um, calling out in this moment what I think is a really important piece and part of this conversation. And that is the morality of all of this uh, uh, Our moral character, uh, moral compass Black women have for so long uh, played that role. Uh, and I think even more so today. And so having someone like a Shirley Chisholm who stood in her morality and her integrity uh, was a beacon of light for so many of us to follow. And it, But for the Shirley Chisholms, the Barbara Lees, the Kamala Harris's, they have laid the ground for uh, the incredible success of a uh, London Breed, Latifah Simon, Malia Cohen, so many uh, who have come behind them. And so, um, in this moment, I think it's really important that we, as Black women, individually and collectively, um, remember our ancestors and the shoulders upon which we stand, because this is another moment I think in our in our history that is calling for the fierce, unapologetic, bold moral leadership of Black women.
1: So then the question becomes that of this myth of electability. Um, we, and we talk about the different myths and stereotypes that Black women face when they go into public office. And um, Kimberly, I'm going to ask of you a question that Mayor Breed posed in the article. And that question is, when we talk about this, odd, this issue of electability. I was on YSC Next Problem Areas on HBO last year. We talked about young black girls being disciplined in schools, and they asked me, Well, why do you think black girls have the highest discipline rates? And I said, Well, because usually when they go to the principal's office, they're saddled with all the different stereotypes of black girls. Black girls are too loud. Black girls are too dramatic. So when we start talking about electability and can a black woman win the presidency in Louisiana, can they win the Iowa caucus? We're talking about can they go up against white men. Mayor Bree posed in the article, why is it more natural for America or the U.S. to accept white male electeds over black women? Kimberly, why do you think that that is?
4: Well, I think there are many reasons why, but I think one of the biggest ones is that um, we have a preconceived notion because of what society feeds us all day, every day of what leadership looks like and what leaders uh, look like. Um, And so when we talk about the electability of black women, I think that we need to expand that and understand that the electability really, quite frankly, of anyone um, who is other than a white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, taller than average male presenting individual will have a harder time being seen as electable, being seen as credible, uh, being seen as uh, viable. And so I think really what we need to talk about is uh, this concept of uh, what leaders look like um, and understanding that um, Black women not only are electable and can win, but the research And if we actually care about what the research and the data tells us, the research shows us that not only do uh, women win, Black women as well, but they win at similar or higher rates as their male uh, counterparts. The problem is not that women can't win. The problem is that women aren't running. Um, And so we need more women to run in order for us as a society to see that as normal, number one, uh, and then to start um, electing them. And so um, the electability question is a farce. Uh, It is, it is a myth, you know, that, that black women, that women in general can't uh, are not electable. And it's something that we are proving time and time again to be false. And I look um, to folks like Lauren Underwood uh, to, um, Folks like Lucy McBath, uh, who won in uh, non-people-of-color majority districts. Uh, the research is also very clear that Black women, specifically Black women, uh, are have a higher percentage of winning elections in non-people-of-color majority districts. So we need to just get more Black women to actually run, uh, support them when they do decide to run uh, with time and talent and money. Um, and start bringing about the change that so many people are craving in this country, um, black people, white people, all people across the board.
1: I'm glad you brought in that, that concept of the data because the data does show that black women are, have the higher voting record. Um, black women are, are involved in stra- as strategists, as consultants, and all the things. We've been elected all the way up to Congress, but for some reason we do still have a hard time getting young black women involved in politics. And Latifah, I know I saw you give the keynote speech at the She Ready event. What do you think it's going to take for us? It feels like there's a gap in the proverbial bench, right? So what do you think it's going to take for us to get more young black women involved so we can start filling in that gap?
3: Um, I'll be quick because I'm actually really interested in what the mayor has to say about this because very few people, when we decide that we want to run, there are folks who support us, but there are very few people who I really think, especially these big positions, can she really win? Um, You know, to Kimberly's point, structural racism is structural. And there is a misconception of who can lead and who should lead, who's ordained to lead. Um, and so racist ideas strangulate the possibility of, of what can be. And our work is to knock down those. In my day-to-day life, I have the privilege of running a foundation, the Akhenati Foundation, where our sole principle is supporting movements and leaders to knock down structural racism. Why I say this, if for all of your life, whether you're living in a small town in the Central Valley or you know, north of Sacramento, or even in San Francisco, and you've never had a Black woman teacher, or you've never seen someone in a position of power, um, how do you develop the hubris to say, not only should I lead but I can actually make structural change. Why it's so important for us to be nagging on women of color, on black women to say, you may not win, but you have to step up and run. You have to figure out how to have a strong voice in your community, but then that's not good enough. We have to stand right beside and right behind one another because in the rooms that we are in, let's just be very clear. Our colleagues, even, and I'm going to go there, even progressive colleagues don't believe all the time and most of the time that we deserve to share space or that we're qualified enough or that our policy ideas or implementation methods are astute enough. And so for the black women who are thinking about running and they see how hard it is for us when we're in these spaces, whether you're running or you're elected, we have to also let them know it's not going to be easy But it's absolutely true that it is our ordained responsibility to lead in our communities.
1: So then, Mayor Breed, I'm going to ask you, since Kimberly told me to ask you, and I I think it's important that a lot of people hear your take on it because so many black girls hear a similar narrative, you know, to yours, especially those of us who grew up in the Richmond's, in San Francisco's, in Compton, in Ninth Ward, in, in Louisiana, What does it take for us to get those young girls who grew up in those circumstances to understand the importance and see themselves running for elected office?
2: I think, first of all, it starts with remembering who we are, remembering who we are and whose shoulders we stand on. Those people who in the civil rights movement put their lives on the line in order to make sure that we even had the right to vote. Our ancestors who came to this country on slave shifts. The things that the folks of the past had to endure gives me the strength to do this work. And why not me? Why not you? I grew up in some of the most challenging of circumstances in San Francisco. No one in elected office right now can even come close to experiencing what I had to endure, not by choice, But living in the conditions, people talk about the mayor group and public housing. Yeah, but I had to endure the conditions. I also had to endure the lies that came from leaders and politicians and other folks who made promises that completely destroyed the African-American community. And so when I decided that why not me and I stepped up in faith, it had everything to do with being tired of making promises and also non-African Americans who felt they knew what was best for my community and people who had my experiences. And so the problem we have here in the world of politics is sometimes the truth hurts. And also what has happened in the past is not something we should continue to repeat in terms of how we make decisions. You may not like the decisions that I make, but what I will not do is exactly what I couldn't stand other leaders and politicians for doing. And that's why it's so important. Like, you know, I'm so so Latifa was an activist and I'm, I was so excited when she said I'm going to run. I'm like, yes. And all of those same people who in some cases rallied around her then became, you know, the most challenging people to deal with because they wanted to control her. They wanted to tell her what to do. Latifah knows what to do, she's a leader. She's fierce and she grew up in these kinds of circumstances. And even with Kimberly Ellis, it's like we got these incredible leaders and what we have to remind people about the fact that, look, I mean, and, and, and people think I use race a lot, but slavery is over. And we are not here to be told what to do. We are here to take our experiences, our strength and everything that we represent and use that to make different and better decisions so that we can change the outcome of what's actually happening with Black people, not just in San Francisco, but all over this country. And we cannot be afraid to call it out, just like Congresswoman Barbara Lee, who just joined the <laughs> call, Thank and you for to call that, out. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, it's not about being Black. It's about the fact that there is something wrong. When you see disproportionately, even in San Francisco, where less than 6% of the population is African American, and you still see the largest number of homeless people are Black, the largest number of kids who are dropping out of high school, the victims of violent crimes, all of the things around negativity, what's happening in progressive San Francisco, it is not okay. And it is time that we start listening to people who lived the experience to help make the decisions collaboratively in order to try and move forward. And we cannot let anything stand in our way. We've been through worse, we've been through challenges and we will continue as black women, as black people to go through challenges in our lifetime. But we cannot be afraid, our ancestors have endured worse. And we have to be the change we want to see. We have to step out on faith and do what we know we are capable of doing. It's all in us. We just have to step out there and go hard.
1: I have a follow-up question specifically for Mayor Breed. And I always say that if I had the opportunity, I would ask specifically you this question. As a leader of one of the largest events and organizations in the city of San Francisco, I have made some decisions that people did not like. And I have made some decisions that have caused a lot of people to activate racist stereotypes and tropes when criticizing those decisions. How do you, how do you deal with, I know you specifically as a leader in the city have dealt with that. How do you deal with that specifically knowing that people, I see this not just with you, you see this with other mayors, other leaders, that when they disagree with you in the scope of polit in political scopes, They decide to activate those tropes. How do you deal with that?
2: You pray for them. Okay. That's what you do. do I I, I get the messages all the time. I've been called the N-word. I've been called the B word. I've been said it's been said that no one should from the ghetto should be running San Francisco. Like all the stereotypes. I've been called a crook. I've been called a liar. I've been called a thief. Every stereotype that you can think of, even by elected leaders in this city. And they are quick to believe the stereotypes that, you know, exists. And and to be clear, just so you all know, I've worked my entire life supporting my community. I worked my entire life doing things for other people. And not until I got into the, had the audacity to get into the political world did I then start getting attacked and challenged in a way that is, of course, uh, very hurtful. And in a way that you don't see other people who are not African-American, you don't see them getting attacked in the same way. And what I say Remember who you are Mm -hmm. and stand on faith. Mm -hmm. Stay true to who you are as a person and pray for those people who sadly have real challenges and real struggles. You can't control what they do. You can only control what you do. You can vent and curse them out to your friends privately, but ultimately, because as an elected leader, you know, as a leader who's in charge of pride, and has to make a hard decision. You're not just representing yourself. You're representing all the people that you're trying to take care of. And so you can't make it about you and you can't get discouraged because some horrible person decided to make some really horrible comments. You pray for them. That's what you do. And that's what I do every single day.
1: Mayor Breed knows to ring up praying because she knows I'm the only person that stood up at her office talking about Carlton Pearson. No one has ever done that. Um, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, I'm, I'm, thank you again for joining us. And I want to kind of roll back to the first question that I asked a lot of these ladies. And I think it's important to ask you this question um, because a lot of young black girls saw themselves in politics through Senator Harris's run. But you not only saw yourself in politics through Shirley Chisholm's run, you actually got to work on her campaign. And I remember seeing the documentary about her campaign that ended with you all giving her some sort of present. I couldn't see what it was thanking her for opening the door for more black women. So what was it in her run and in working her campaign that led you to be a congresswoman yourself?
5: Sure. Well, thank you very much for giving me a chance to be with you, to be inspired by so many wonderful African-American women. And uh, first, let me just say, I just got back from Washington, D.C. We were there for the last a couple of days trying to hold it down and trying to address some of the issues that still are, are looming that we have to address on, on COVID-19 with our small and minority business community. But I want to say to Mayor Breed, listen, uh, I, in Congress we say I associate myself with the remarks of the gentlewoman woman from San Francisco. Well, let me tell you, Mayor Breed, uh, you uh, and I'm of Dr. Maya Angelou when she said, and still we rise. Uh, and that's your message, I think. And also, I just have to commend and salute you and thank you. And I tell my colleagues all over the country that if it weren't for you and your bold and visionary actions stepping out there first on COVID-19 and instructing this state and the rest of the country on how to move forward to save lives and stop the transmission of this virus, I don't know where we'd be. There'd be hundreds of thousands of more individuals dead. So just thank you, London Brie. Thank you, Mayor because uh, you have been just such a phenomenal leader and I remember when you first ran for mayor and I know what you're talking about because you know coming uh, from where I'm coming from you know I hear this each and every day and so uh, I'm so proud of what you're doing and also uh, Latifa and Kimberly and whoever else is on, on this call uh, you just don't know how uh, proud I am uh, of the work that you do each and every day and Latifa, I have to just say I loved you. Having you as a student teacher in my class at Mills College, <laughs> I had to see Professor you. Lee is what we call her. Okay, <laughs> to see what you have done and how you've taken your life in, in terms of public service. So thank you again. But listen, let me just say one thing about uh, Shirley Chisholm. What we gave her at the end in that movie was a, a document that uh, I had put together from Mills College that talked about her campaign in the California primary and going back to that day i was unregistered i was a community worker for the black panther party i understood political processes and the two-party system but i conscientiously said no i did not want to participate in these charades that were taking place and so i had a class and so i was working with the panther party as a community workers at survival rallies uh, doing the work helping put the school together, working on the clinic, working on free breakfast program. I was an activist as and a student. I was a young single mother on public assistance, on food stamps, raising two phenomenal young boys coming out of a terrible domestic violence situation. So, you know, all the stuff that black women deal with, well, I was dealing with all that too. But I was determined that it wasn't going to get me down. So I went back to college. And I had a class in government, Dr. Fran Mullins. And part of her, and I've only had, mind you, one class in government in my life. Her um, requirement in that course was to do field work in one of the presidential campaigns. Well, then it was McGovern, Muskie, Humphrey, you know, all those guys. And I said, flunk me. I've never uh, flunked a class in my life, but there is no way you're going to get me involved and working in one of these guys campaigns who are not speaking to the issues of black women and black people. So i am be later for you. So I was going to funk it. I was very comfortable in funking that class, but at the same time I was president of black student union. And as president of black student union, I had a little budget and I had a little budget for a speakers bureau. So I invited the first African-American woman elected to Congress to come to mills, to speak to the BSU. I had no idea she was running for president. So in her speech, she talked about she was running for president. Now, let me tell you, Shirley talked about, first she could speak, and a lot of people don't know this, fluent Spanish. She talked about immigrant rights. She talked about lifting people out of poverty. She was against the Vietnam War. A lot of people don't know, but she was one of the first uh, board members of NARAL. Reproductive health was a big issue for her. And so this was a woman who was way ahead of her time uh, and who spoke to the issues I cared about. I was shocked. That there was anybody this bold to talk about these issues. So I went up to her afterwards and I talked to her and I said, You know, and I'd met her before because I was the person who invited her. I said, You know, I have this class I'm about to plunk in um, government. It's a great class, but they make me, they require us to work in a campaign and I'm not going to do that. And I said, But after listening to you, you know, I might reconsider that. And she took me to task. She said, Well, first thing, you better register to vote. I said, Nah, not me. You know, I'm an activist. I, you know, I get those people can vote. Not me. But I want to change the system from the outside. And that's not about voting. I said, I just want to pass this class. She said, I changed my mind about this stuff. So she said, no, if you really want to shake things up, if you want to change the system, you've got to get in the mix. You've got to get on the inside. You've got to register to vote and you've got to make that change happen. And she told me, she said, you know, these rules weren't made for you. They weren't made for me. These laws weren't passed with Black women in mind. She says, so you've got to get in and not only shake things up, but you got to go in and, and you can't get in to go along to get along, but you've got to change the rules of the game. Now, I had, fast, I had no idea I would ever want to run for office. She was trying to convince me I should get involved in her campaign and pass my class. I reluctantly said, okay, I said, how do I get involved? Who do I call? Boom, boom, boom. She says, I really don't know. I'm leaving it up to my local supporters to to do the campaign. It's a grassroots campaign and we don't have a national. Effort. I said, okay. So after we get talked some more, I went back to my class. I talked to Dr. Mullins. I said, okay, I think I'm going to think about reconsidering this class. How do I do this? And what do I do? She said, well, that's part of the coursework. You have to figure that out yourself. So I called Sandra Swanson, who was student body president of Lane College, I called Wilson Riles Jr., who was also a student, and Sandy Gaines, an African-American woman, was president of the student body at Mills College. Bottom line, we got together. We organized the Shirley Chisholm presidential primary campaign out in Northern California out of my class at Mills College. I got an A in the class that I was going to fund, and I went on to Miami as a Shirley Chisholm delegate. And so the rest is history. And so what you saw in that film was my presenting her the documentation of her campaign in California, and um, she was so happy to receive that because no one was really keeping records or anything, so I still have that, and she wrote about her California campaign in Chapter 6 of uh, The Good Fight, and so that's my story as it relates to Shirley Chisholm. Then I be, she became a close friend, a mentor. She came out here several times. I I'm, know, I'm Latifia, you met her when she came, but she came when I was running for for the assembly, for Senate, and for Congress. So she's been out here many times helping me out and she became a dear, like I said, a dear friend, a mentor. I miss her. I've done a stamp in her honor. We've done a picture and I did this in the Capitol. If you haven't seen that, you gotta go to the Capitol, because when Nancy was speaker before that was my first little mission was to get Shirley Chisholm in the Capitol. So I do everything I can do to preserve her legacy because she truly was a woman ahead of her time but a woman whose time has come and whose time has come to really understand and learn from and lift up and really uh, help young people understand who she was and who she is in terms of her spirit, her legacy and her work.
1: Okay. And and I want to say we're at the top of the hour and I know Mayor Breed, you have to go in a little bit. So anyone who's asking, why am I asking Mayor Breed with continuous questions? She has to go out and continue saving us all from the Rona. Speaking of the Rona, Okay, clearly we are all recording this via Zoom. There's no audience here um, because we're going through an unprecedented health challenge here and not just in California, but all over the world. And when black people go through an unprecedented challenge, what do we do? We create memes and GIFs and viral videos. And anyone who knows me knows that I am both a consumer, a distributor, and sometimes a creator of these GIFs and videos. But my favorite that that I've seen across my timeline has been this one. This has been my my favorite meme that has come across. And before I ask you the question, someone asked me when it came across my timeline, excuse me, they said, Carolyn, you must caption this. And so I created the following caption. Mayor Lightfoot says, if you think you're going outside, I'm going to knock you into next week. (laughs) Mayor Bottom says, go on outside. Try me and see what happens. Mayor Cantrell, "Mm, try Jesus, but don't try me. And then Mayor Breed Oh, so you think he's just going to go outside when I said not to? Ha, I want to see you try. So, I mean, but this is something that we do. As, as a, a members of the culture, the way that we actually critically um, contextualize things, we create these things that give us both humor as well as serious content. So, Mayor Bree, we have seen during this unprecedented health crisis that so many black women that we may not have even noticed, we had so many running so many large cities and so many um, important um, positions across the U.S. Do you feel as a Black woman, we say that Black women are the mothers of society. Do you feel that there's an extra pressure for you to take care of everyone? By the way, my sister says she's in in Louisiana. She lives in Texas. She's not going back to Texas until you tell her to. She's getting sick and you telling her she can't go. So having said that, do you feel an extra pressure in this moment?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, like you all know how I grew up in public housing. There was a lot of drama, a lot of violence. I mean, I've seen it all. But the one thing that was always uh, consistent is the arms and protection of my grandmother. So even in the midst of the drama, I knew if I could just make it home, Ms. Brown will protect me. Like she will take care of me. I knew that, I felt like she was the strongest person I ever knew. I mean, she's, she, I saw her stand up to people who were violent and who were challenging. I, I have so many stories about, you know, Miss Brown making people that I was really afraid of because of what I saw them do to other people. I saw her stand up to them and protect people and feed people and always look out for people. So I felt I was strong because I had Miss Brown. And I would complain. I'm like, mama, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? She would tell me to be, she would say, shut up. But She would basically say, be quiet. That's what you do for people. That's what you do. Like, you feed people. You take care of the community. That's your responsibility. And she really was the mother of the community because she never, I mean, we didn't have much, but if somebody needed to borrow a dollar, she didn't have much, but if somebody needed some food, uh, she also, there was no in between. It was like, right is right and wrong is wrong. You know, she didn't mess around with that stuff when she saw somebody doing wrong. And so I think that part of, you know, who I have become had a lot to do with Ms. Brown, because when I started uh, running the African-American art and culture complex in the Fillmore, I all of a sudden became the mother of all the kids there. So I was like this strict disciplinarian, pick that up, go clean that up, do this for me, run to the store, you know, like all these things that my grandmother did. And and I think that part of that, that, that comes from a lot of our upbringing. And so now in San Francisco, what I'm finding is, you know, people are and in the the conversations that I've had with people, people appreciate it. And they say, they say to me, I feel like you're the mother of the city. I feel like you're protecting me. Like, I feel like I feel safe. Uh, And I just, I I really am a little overwhelmed by that because I, I also realize that I'm projecting my grandmother in every decision that I make because it really is about protecting and saving lives. And as much as, you know, I hated the discipline, I feel like now the disciplinarian, put that mask on or, you know, hold on, get out of that circle. Like I've had to actually, I've been outside a little bit too and, and I've been telling people, hey, hold on, you know? And and so I'm like, I've become Miss Brown basically. And I think that, you know, it comes from our, our culture. It's our nature to be, uh, motherly, whether we are mothers or not, it's our nature to to protect and to support. And that's why I think Black women make such incredible leaders, because at times such as these, this is when you need that. This is when you need to know that you're safe, that you're protected, that the person who is in charge is going to make sure everything is okay. And, and, and I really uh, take a lot of gratitude in knowing that As hard as these decisions are, because they are hard decisions, when I think about people's livelihood and and, and I look at the balance of everything going on, not just in San Francisco, but the rest of the country, I know that it is so important that people feel a sense of safety and security despite the chaos that's happening. And so uh, I'm really glad to be in a position like this at this time. I want to go outside myself and do more myself. So uh, I'm right along with everyone else. I'm, I'm, I'm losing it just like everyone else. I'm worried about people not generating a paycheck uh, and what's happening to them and their families, which is why I'm doing private fundraising uh, through give to sf to give people money for food and to pay rent and to help small businesses. Um, so all of that has everything to do with, you know, the decisions that I'm making now and, I hope that it pays off. I know me and those other mayors that you see, uh, uh, LaToya Contrell and uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms and Lori Lightfoot, those are my sisters in this effort. And we communicate, we talk, we share information. Uh, but, you know, like, I'll tell you, Barbara Lee was the first mama of, of the movement. And, <laughs> you know, we are, we are just so grateful that we're in a position to serve in this way. And I think what you see are really a lot of the mayors and especially black women in leadership really leading the way in this country as it relates to this pandemic because that's what we do. We multitask. We take care of the communities. We take care of family. We don't wait around just, you know, basically we can't completely rely on the federal government. I mean, Congresswoman Lee is battling this, this craziness every single day despite this pandemic. And, and here we are. We're like, look, we can't wait for the cavalry. We got to get it done because folks need help now. And and so I think that's kind of the nature of who we are, and and it is a blessing. And I'm so grateful to be uh, mayor, uh, and I'm so grateful to help uh, support other amazing women leaders, African-American women leaders. And I am looking forward uh, to a future where we see more, especially here in the Bay Area, Uh, I'd like to see more. And that's why I love the fact that Latifah and Kimberly are at the forefront of this movement. We gotta get people registered to vote. We gotta have them step out on faith and we gotta do everything we can to support one another.
1: So Mayor Breed, I know that you have to go, like I said, save us from the Rona, but it's a tradition at the C-Dub show. And I wasn't gonna do this when you left because I didn't wanna give the panelists extra time to answer this question, but I'm very, very interested in your answer. So I always end the show by asking these very important questions. And this question that I'm going to ask you is the litmus test for me. And I, I test every black person. If you, if you don't answer this right, I will still love you. But I will drag you on the Internet for answering it incorrectly. It is important. You cannot go back and forth about it. You are a very decisive woman. I know that you can do this without giving me too much of, a, of an explanation. I don't want an explanation. Important question. Which Michael Jackson album is better, Thriller or Off the Wall?
2: I'm going to say Thriller. I'm okay. sorry. I love the Off the Wall song, but the Thriller was everything. I mean, you know, it, it just, it, it was everything, especially the, the video. The no t- explanations, the Mayor
1: Breed. Huh? No <laughs> explanations. Thank you, for, thank you for joining us. I'm so happy to have you. I'm honored. I will see you next week for your Pride kickoff event.
2: The Billy G video. The, no explanations, the the Mayor Reed.
1: Reed you go save the world now. <laughs> Bye, everybody. You so You're welcome. Bye, Mayor. All right. Congresswoman Lee, Kimberly Ellis, and Latifah Simon. I'm going to go back to this, this um, important conversation about getting young women involved. Um, and I mentioned, or I haven't mentioned, the Emerge program. I know that, Kimberly, you were the former executive director. Latifah, you graduated in, which year did you graduate?
3: 2009.
1: 2009, and Mayor Breed, who's left of it, is also a a, um, graduate of the program. How have you all worked to actually bring more young women in? I had one of my Emerge sisters, Tiffany Jones, who told me that it was important for her to get specifically more young black women. And she actually referred to a Shirley Chisholm quote that she got from Kimberly Ellis about if you don't have a seat at the table, bring your own folding chair. So what have you all done and why was it important specifically to work through Emerge to get more young women involved?
3: I'll go quick because for the former executive director to bring it home, you know, part of, I don't know. And I, in some ways, I think I can do a lot better. Um, But it is always about watching the women who've come before us. I see how Congresswoman Lee, who everybody knows is my serious idol, um, has made it her business to literally have black women on all sides of her. Um, There was, Right before the shutdown, I was at a random, not random, beautiful young women's event in San Francisco. And I'm sitting by this young woman. And within five minutes, she tells me where she's working. She just graduated college. Of course, she's working for the congresswoman. I'm like, how'd you get that job? That's a good job. I met so many women, congresswomen, coming out of your office. You um, have given us such a framework to bring women along, but not just any woman, not just any black woman, you've been pretty clear about we need to have an internationalist politic. When I was in your class, you made us study Darfur. <laughs> you made us understand what was happening across the globe and the intersections of epidemiology of HIV and the fight for a cure. That was, I don't know, over 10, 15 years ago. I'm dating myself. But watching women who have made it their lives, not only to pass good laws, but to bring other sisters along with them. Um, I feel like if we could just do one tenth of what you've done um, and how you stood up for the mayor when she was right, I just, I think we have a really good blueprint. And yes, we need to do more. Kimberly, I'm interested to, to hear what you have to say about this, but um, I feel like there isn't an excuse. We know what to do. We're seeing people do it like, you know, like, like the Congresswoman.
1: Kimberly, same question to you. And I know that you you made it your business, not in just emerge with so many different organizations to bring as many black women into the process as possible. You know, what have you done and why has it been so important in those spaces?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think just going back to I'm going to keep going back to Shirley Chisholm, because I believe that in this moment we are obligated to um, really look to those who, um have have, have paved the trail uh, uh, for us. And what she said was if if you don't have a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. And um, when I looked around so many spaces, political and otherwise, um, not only did black women not have a seat at the table, we weren't even in the room. Um, And so I think it is our obligation to, once we get in somewhere, to bring as many others with us as we can because we know that half of the battle is just showing up, right? Decisions are made by the people who show up. Um, And so it's important that we be in those rooms and at those decision-making tables where our lives and our livelihoods are being decided. Um, You know, the work of Emerge really is about ensuring that there are reflective voices and perspectives and lived experiences around those decision-making tables. And so in many respects, it, it is, an organization that's dedicated to getting more women elected, not just for the sake of getting more women elected, but because we know based on research that when you have more women, women of color, black women seated at those decision-making tables, what you get on the other side is policy and legislation that is more fair, more equitable, and more just for the entire community. Um, And so when I became the executive director of Emerge California, I was dedicated to ensuring that the women who were coming through the program, who were being recruited to go through the program, looked like California. Um, I think oftentimes we forget that California is a people of color majority state. The majority of people who live in the great state of California are people of color. And so when I came to Emerge, our um, diversity rate was about 39%. When I left Emerge, we were at 56% women of color. And the greatest increase uh, in that amount uh, was Black women. And that was very deliberate. Um, it was a, a deliberate effort to reach out to and work with other organizations like BOWAPA uh, down in uh, Los Angeles, like Law Pi, um, that were uh, based in the African American community, and to ask Black women. Um, to to get engaged and involved, women unfortunately, uh, unlike men, have to be asked several times, on average about seven times, before they will even consider running for office. So, asking women to run for office, asking Black women um, to be a part of this is the first step. And um, and so I made it my my um, my goal, my business, to um, to go around and specifically ask women, and to ensure that I was always asking Black women everywhere. Um, I could go. Um, That's important. And, um, you know, you talked a lot about building the bench. Um, That is all about recruiting and training and supporting the women once they make the decision uh, to run for office. And I think that we need to prioritize that. We need to prioritize investing in Black women's leadership. Um, And that starts, um, quite honestly, in my opinion, in, in middle school, right? Middle school and high school, uh, college investing in Black women's leadership so that they start to see themselves as leaders um, and to understand that ambition um, is not a dirty word, that wanting to have power and to use power to do good and to help others um, is really what politics uh, should be all about. And so um, Emerge is an incredible program. I, it, when I when I was looking at the the, the lineup that you had put together- I noted that four out of five of the panelists are Emerge, uh, grads yourself, Mayor Breed, uh, President Simon, myself, I'm not just the former executive uh, director, I also went through the program, and Congresswoman Barbara Lee was actually the very first graduation speaker for the uh, for the very first emerge class, so it is an incredible program that um, is really demystifying the process and helping to get uh, women involved. And the last thing that I'll say, and I think this is a really important point. And this was part of a, a question that you had 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 posed uh, in the lead up to this, and that is sort of how do we get more black women involved, young you know black girls and what have you. And I think a big part of that is really us as black women understanding that it is an illusion for us to believe that we can go through life without being political and not engaging in politics because just by virtue of being black and female, our bodies are political, right? And so we need to understand that we can't escape this even if we want it to. And so we need to learn, um, as uh, the Congresswoman was saying that uh, that Shirley Chisholm was telling her, we need to learn how we get into these systems and how we get a seat at the table and then go about the business of changing the rules and changing the game to create a level playing field for everyone.
5: Can I say something about Emerge very quickly? Yes, please. OK, uh, I-, I know the Emerge before Kimberly, first of all. Uh, <laughs> yes, I was the first graduation speaker for Emerge. And I, I came into the room, I said, wait a minute. And I did my speech, but I, after I said, hell no, I don't, I, I didn't see if one, maybe one or two African-American women. I said, no, this can't be the case. And so then comes Kimberly. <laughs> and, and I mean, Emerge is, I really uh, love Emerge and what it has presented and how it has moved forward. But I am telling you, it was a struggle at first. And uh, when Kimberly got there, when finally uh, the eMERGE organizers really said, yes, we've got to make sure that African-American women are part of this process at the top levels, then Kimberly came along and she did exactly what she just said. And so uh, when you look at the eMERGE graduates uh, who are African-American women, I mean, look at Latifa, Director Simon, when you look at, there's so many black women who have, have, uh, Soared as a result of going through the eMERGE program. And so, you know, I was so happy to be that first graduation speaker, but I was also very disappointed because I did not see Black women in that first graduation class. And so this is a testament to how we just have to push, push, push. And um, voila, look, I mean, look at what uh, has happened. And, and this is just a testament again to Black women. And once Black women break through, however, then they, they take that ball, they take that baton and they run with it and they crack those glass ceilings for other Black women to uh, to just soar through. It is so true. Kimberly
3: went to my first meeting uh, when I decided to run with a consultant who I love so much, who I was going to ask for advice. And you sat with me and held my hand. And at the end of that conversation, it was A. Smith. He said, we'll take you on. And you have to run in three counties, but you could win. What district are you running for? I don't even think I knew that. But I had merger women around me. I got my treasurer from a lawyer that you referred me to who was a consultant through Emerge. So I think it is I mean, I had I had just lost my husband, I had absolutely no savings, horrific credit, had filed bankruptcy, cancer will will, will decimate families, even if you have health insurance. But I knew that that if I had been through that and survived, that there was so much more that I could do, and you all, all y'all heard that, and it was it was merge women who really stood, you know, with me. And I don't want to, you know, there's so many women who call us all the time asking advice. But even if you have the network, I will say, running for office is the hardest thing that I have done, and I've done some hard things, mostly because, like all of you all, have spent all of your life helping people. Um, and loving on folks and fighting big fights. Um, But when you decide to step out, why you need a circle of black women and women around you, um, there will be people. And I'm curious if people did this to you early on, Congresswoman, who say, how dare you? How dare you? It's not your time. Um, You can work for me, but it's not your time to run. So Emerge and and Kimberly, you're always in my ear telling me, that that is what folks are thinking, but not only to ignore it, push past it and be smarter and read things five times um, and, 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 and get your army around you. So Emerge is a force. Folks who've been in, folks who were in, folks who are leading now.
1: And you know what? I'm actually going to take that question, Latifa, and still pose it to Congresswoman Lee, but I'm going to kind of put a twist on it. So I just finished watching the series Mrs. America on Hulu, which tells the story of so many of the women feminist leaders of the 70s, including Mother Shirley Chisholm. For a lot of folks, they did not know Shirley Chisholm's story before seeing that 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 show. I actually show the documentary that I spil- spoke of that you're in. I show it to my leadership class and they were shocked to hear Shirley Chisholm's story. And it really was a lot of that was about I'll just have to call it out. Like Latifah said, white women who told her it wasn't her time, that she didn't ask them for permission to run. So did you also, coming after Shirley Chisholm, did you face that as well?
5: I, in a lot of ways, I still face it <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> fundraising. It's like, oh, you don't need any money. You have a safe seat. Then look at the financial records of other members who have safe seats who are not black. They they raised 10 times more money. So yeah, you know, it was always like that. And uh, when, when I first ran, uh, it was, this was in 89, mind you. There had never been an African-American woman elected to the California Assembly or Senate north of Los Angeles or Congress. So you can imagine what it was. And I was a, a chief of staff to the great warrior, Ron Dellums, who was one of the feminists on Capitol Hill. I say he, he and Shirley Chisholm and uh, maybe Perrin Mitch, maybe two or three other members had it had women, black women, chief of staff. So it's this started with me on Capitol Hill as a staffer when, uh, you know, the culture of Capitol Hill was so so sexist and racist. But Ron Dellums always stood up for me and always said, no, 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 she will have a seat at the table because she's representing me. And so when I ran, of course, everyone knew that I had a business, 11 years and was fairly successful business. And I also was, I had been uh, Ron's chief of staff and had done fundraising for him and what have you, but it was like, no way you should run for office. I mean, you've been behind the scenes and I'm, I'm saying, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't because I've been, I've worked for the, the best, the, the person who's the Elected of, of elected officials, Ron Delt, But it was, it was a couple of individuals who really encouraged me. It was John George, su- former supervisor John George, who took me out and, and two other Black women and said, it's time for you all to surface and to come from behind those scenes. And when, when L.U. decided to run for mayor, it was John George who said, you've got to run for the Assembly of And he, made, he in essence made me do it. I, I hadn't even talked to Ron about it. <laughs> But he saw something in me that I really did not even recognize. And so once I decided with John and John, it was really something because the day uh, right after he died was the day that I decided to run because I had seen him two days before crossing the street. He said, you've got to run. You've got to run. And I was backing off. And so when he passed away, I said, okay. And so it was. It was hard though because then it was like, why are you running? You know, you don't need to run for office, and you've never run before. And how are you going to raise money? No one. They said, well, the first test was, well, see if you can raise fifty thousand in six months. Okay, I raised fifty one thousand in six months. Then it was, well, you know, you have another uh, elected official running against you. How do you think you're going to win? Okay, well, watch me. I'm going to try. And so I didn't have a lot of endorsements. Uh, Ron endorsed me. And helped me out tremendously. But uh, very few other people endorsed me. But Shirley Chisholm did. And I still have pictures of Shirley coming out here, helping me uh, do phone banking, walk precincts, doing events. Shirley did that in 89 and 90 and 96 and 98. And so, it, you know, and then Bowapa and black women uh, helped me out. And we have to put together a coalition because this is a progressive district. But Kimberly knows, uh, Latifah knows, if you're a black woman and progressive, <laughs> it's like, you're not progressive enough, right? The and so you is have to so <laughs> you have to deal with the race issue and you have to deal with the issue around proving that you're progressive. Black women are progressive by nature because of our history. And so, yeah, we had to work here. I had two degrees of business Had worked for a member of Congress for 11 years. And there were still questions about my, um, you know, credentials to run. So, you know what? I just did it like black women do. We just do it. OK. And then once we do it, we get in there and we do it and we continue uh, carrying that baton and we continue in making sure that we do the things, like Shirley Chisholm said, not to go along to get along, but to challenge all the injustices. Black women challenge all the, the terrible things that are going on in a very bold way that a lot of others uh, don't do. So, yeah, it, it's still hard for African-American women, but
4: and still we rise and still we do it. Okay. Well, and can I well, just, can I just add on to that? Because what the Congresswoman um, doesn't share, and I think this is, this is um, a part of understanding the process and what it's going to be like. I think arming Black women, especially those who are interested in or, or thinking about running for office, understanding and, and knowing what you are going to be faced with is, is a big part of it. Arming, so you can arm yourself as best as possible to be prepared for the kind of battle it's going to be. So first of all, acknowledge, Acknowledging and embracing what it is that you are actually doing when you decide to engage in electoral politics, you are you are making a definitive statement that, yes, I am seeking power and understanding that for so many in the way that our politics is today. It is all about power. Power equals access to resources, access to money, access. it It decides who gets to pollute and who gets polluted, who gets to live, who gets to die. Um, And so that is what, when we decide to do that, that is what we are doing and understanding that there is both an internal and an external conversation that goes on when we make that decision, embrace that, acknowledge it, and then decide to move forward. And so making the decision to run is a process. Running is a process. Getting elected is, is a process. Governing is a whole other process. And then ascending, and I was thinking specifically about the Congresswoman on this one, ascending the ranks of leadership. Once you're elected is a whole other process. And so there are so many processes and so many things and layers that black women have to navigate um, and traverse in order to to even be able to uh, you know, start the process of, of doing the work of the people. And so I just think it's really important to underscore that it's not just running for office and getting elected. There's a whole other, you know, other side of the coin, you know, the labels that we, that are thrown at us, you're not progressive, you're moderate, you're this, you're that, not from the other side, from our own, from within. And so these are really real challenges and that is separate and apart from the financial uh, hurdles and the, um, you know, personal um, challenges of just being in a position um, to wage a campaign, so I just think it's really important that as we as we have this conversation, understanding as 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 well as we can exactly the battle that we are going to walk into, so that we can best prepare for it.
3: And having accomplices, not just allies, you know, there are there are folks who we have to ride with when you decide to represent a populace, a community. Um, it's important to have folks. Um, and not only a diverse coalition and not just allies, but folks who ride with you right by your side. They may not look like you. They may have different experiences um, from the political community, the donor community. They're there. There are folks that are there that deeply understand anti-racist commitment to leadership and, and, and electing black women and supporting black women. Once, like you said, they get elected so that the governing process actually Bears the fruit of this idea of why we're there is to create and implement and watchdog um, over opportunities for all of our people to be safe, to be healthy, and to have exactly this thing that we're supposed to have when we're born. This this, this democratic vision of what's possible, um, and and I think we have so so many folks who are in office right now, and so many folks who are laid the way. Um, we got to keep going.
1: So we're, we're coming down to the end of the show, since you all have already basically given me what your advice would be for a young candidate such as myself. I will ask Kimberly, thriller off the wall. Just well, thriller um, off
4: the is, wall.: Well, as someone who off the wall it would be off the wall.
1: Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Latifah, throw (laughs) her off the wall. wall. Off the wall. Okay. I'm I'm gonna gonna... let Congresswoman Lee have the last word as far as what is your advice to a young candidate such as myself, and then throw her off the wall.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Advice (laughs) is just be yourself and do it. Mm. And uh, yeah, and and what uh, Kimberly and Latifah said, this is about power. It's about power sharing, and it's about equity. And so, not don't don't. Run for office just to run for office. Run for office so you can get in there and be powerful to change power sharing arrangements in this country. Because uh, right now, as we know, uh, it's it's in pretty bad shape. And and black women are the ones who are going to save the soul of America because of who we are and our history. And, of course, it's thrilling for me.
1: I will reveal the real answer to that question in social media. I want to thank Latifah Simon and Kimberly Ellis and thanks so much to Congresswoman Lee. I have now adopted you or you are in my inner circle. Now people who I'm going to call and bug before, as I go into this campaign, I want to thank the Commonwealth Club for letting us have this conversation. Continue the conversation. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as C-Dub the Host. You can find the C-Dub show across all social media platforms and wherever you catch your podcast. We are hoping this is a first in a long conversation about what politics demands of black women. And thank you again.